Mike one, Mike one, isn't this a lot of fun? Did you, America? Welcome to another edition of Did You America? I'm Ian Canfield. He is Jeremy, and this is where we talk about stuff about America and some stuff that's not about America. Yeah, pretty much the whole world. Yeah, there you go. Sometimes space. Right, uh, absolutely. Never the ocean, though. Uh, This is season two, episode... A lot. Yeah. Um, Can I talk about pig parkers before we get going today? Let's do it. Oh, so I live in an apartment complex, and it's a pretty nice apartment complex, and we've got our own parking structure, which is attached to the side of the apartment complex. If you live in DFW or any other major metropolitan area in the States, you've probably got a a similar uh, situation going on. Um, so it's a private parking lot, and uh, the spaces, they're not the biggest spaces in the world, but I, quite a few of my neighbors own big trucks, and they certainly take up the, the whole space, but there's enough space for a big truck to be parked within the white lines that are marked in said parking lot, right? It really, 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 really pisses me off when I can't get a parking space next to the door, which is the nearest to my front door, because there are various exit doors from the parking structure that lead you into the main building where your apartments are. Now, I admit, this is the difference in walking, I don't know, 30 meters, but that's not the point. (laughs) No one wants to walk extra. No, well, it's called a parking lot that they sell as being, you know, uh, connected to your apartment building so you don't have to park far from your actual apartment. And I say that, right, when I moved into this apartment building, it was uh, brand new. So I had a a choice of apartments because there were uh, were a lot of vacancies, right? Right. I now I'd moved from an apartment that was a, a townhouse design, so I, I had an attached garage. Now that kind of convenience makes you makes you lazy, right? Having the attached garage. I have an attached garage. I'm very lazy. That did not make you lazy. You've been lazy from birth. <laughs> hey, it, you were the one that said it. Let me have this one. <laughs> it, just, it just made you more lazy, yeah, significantly, and more like a fat Walter Becker. <laughs> but there is a there, there, you know if you've got an attached garage uh, to your your house or your apartment, that is a beautiful thing. So when I moved to this apartment complex um, and I had a choice of apartments I went with one strategically because my front door that leads to my apartment was right by one of the doors from with which you exit the parking structure so I'm thinking I can park in one of the allotted spaces and I haven't got a, I haven't got to walk very far if I've got groceries because you know previously having an attached garage it made me lazy I call it Doris Day parking Go on. Because when Doris Day was alive and an A-list celebrity, she had to park, right, had to have her driver park right out the front of every venue she went to. So if ever I get a park, even if I go to the Kroger, which is a big grocery store in the great state of Texas, right? If there's a parking spot that's right by the entrance of Kroger, I go, 
Doris Day parking. <laughs> so was Doris Day handicap? I'm confused here. Lazy, like you. <laughs> I, I consider myself she wasn't handicapped. A, she wasn't a handicap. She was a, she was a star and she had to have the parking spot nearest the entrance to any venue that she was going to. Right, and here in, Amer- in America, those are handicap parking spots. Yes, but 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 right next to some handy. You're right, because right there are some handicap parking spots, uh, and then there are regular parking spots that are, that are nearest the entrance. What they right. need to do is they need to have like you know how they have the handicap symbol on the spots for the handicap. They need to have one or two that's just like a woman in a skirt, like the girl's bathroom symbol, and those are the Doris Day spots. Yeah, and underneath, just to make sure it can say DDP, Doris Day Parking. Right, right? I think everyone will get it. I'm actually, while, while we... Or women will just start peeing there. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you've been busting to go in the entire during the entire journey home to your apartment complex and you get to the parking lot, but you know there's no way you're going to make it from your car into the apartment complex, unlock your door in time and get into the bar Bathroom, you can just squat down in one of the DDP spots. That's perfect. Women's rights, you know? Anyway, look, so the, the point is, is I deliberately chose the the apartment uh, uh, based on its location within the building because it was very near the doorway that leads you from the parking lot to the main structure. And, and I wanted to have I wanted to have Doris Day parking, even though I no longer had an attached garage. And most of the time I managed to achieve that. And I do very much love where I live. It's a wonderful building, except when some fucker who drives a Kia has parked literally taking up what might as well be two spots because whoever this fucker who drives a Kia is can't keep a fucking Kia within the white lines my my respectable neighbors will park their massive trucks that they back in and keep them between the white lines that's good not this fucker with their fucking Kia Pig Parker ran over. This is probably a bad time to tell you I bought a Kia this week, right? <laughs> There's no excuse. You, d- as I said, if you can park a massive truck between the lines, you can park a Kia. Like you have, I, you know what it was parked like. I, I, I literally, I was, and here's the thing. I had to make, I had to make an artistic judgment call on this, right? Because it wound me up so much. I was about to leave what could be considered maybe an abusive notice in the windshield of this car. But then I know that because we record the podcast from my uh, kitchen and we talk about that quite often, that quite a few of my neighbors have started listening to the podcast. And then I was too shit scared because I'm like, okay, I, I don't know. I, I don't yeah. know. I'm like, even, even if it's not one of the neighbors who listens within an apartment complex, there's and there's only a few of them, but there's enough of them that now listen. And I'm thinking it's going to get back to the what I've already called the fucker with the Kia. <laughs> right, you're definitely not going to get a nice gift basket from them next holiday season. But you, know? That, like, you know, it was parked like it was someone doing a DoorDash dropping off food, right? The only excuse for parking a car like that is if your hazard warning lights are flashing because you are making a delivery, right? Oh, not absolutely. Not delivering yourself to the apartment where you're probably going to sleep the night. That's exactly what I was, what I was going to say. As long as your car is on and clearly, like, maybe even the one of the doors is then open. Then it's acceptable. It's acceptable if you park like that and completely leave and you're gone for more than 10 minutes you should expect your windshields broken <laughs> or the, the side mirrors at least you know how uh, i don't know how it is in other states in texas uh if you if you get into a car accident if you hit the other car from behind right. it's insurance it's always the guy behind you's fault right the guy who hits the other car it's always their fault no matter what even the person slams on their brakes in the middle of a green it's always the person behind their fault 
I believe if a car is parked, taking up two spaces, and I happen to take my car and going a hundred miles per hour slam right into that car for no apparent reason other than being upset that they are parked in two spots, I think insurance should consider that their fault. Hmm. Because that's just, it's the ultimate sign of being an ass. Should I go to my neighbor who's got one of the big trucks and say, will you back into that fucking Kia for me? Let Jeremy me go, says that they'd be at fault. Let me go poop on their windshield. <laughs> I think that'll show them, teach them a lesson. Well, I don't know if we've ever done this story before, but when I was growing up uh, back in Shitsville. You pooped on a windshield? No, but this is uh, my dad's unique way of dealing with pig parkers. Uh, and I think in a roundabout way, it might have ruined the relationship. Although it also, in theory, helped a man out of the closet so there's good and bad um <laughs> it's quite a story I, I can't believe we haven't got around to this before say, this might be your best dad's story so, oh i well i mean I, I i wouldn't say that because as we know he almost adds to his stories yeah, on, a, course, on a weekly yeah. basis a <laughs> um I, there was a couple uh husband and wife and they lived opposite and um for some reason in the in the street that we lived our row of uh houses didn't have any uh any drives so if you parked a car out the front of your house, you parked it outside, like on the street right. against the sidewalk. But the houses opposite had all had drive. So they had uh, places to park their car on a drive. And also uh, they, had, they had attached garages. We didn't. Right? Fancy. Exactly. So they got uh, two more parking options to keep their cars off of the street. They can put them on their drive or they can put them in the garage, right? We have only got the space uh, against the sidewalk outside the front of our house. So it used to wind my dad up loads that the guy who lived opposite, um, I think he was some sort of heating engineer and he used to have a, uh, a van uh, for his work company. And he would constantly leave it parked outside our house. And if he leaves it outside our house, we can't park our car out there, right? right? And my, uh, maybe this is where I got my Doris Day parking from because logistically my dad could park the car a few meters up the road, but that's not outside our house, is it? No. No. So, so I'm guessing your dad would always like scream outside the front door, who the fuck do you think you are, <laughs> Doris Day? And that's what put it in your brain. <laughs> No, he um he went through a very uh, typical of my dad like process to try and stop this happening. He found out the uh, the phone number of the company that the guy worked for because he had their logo like the heating company on the side of the van. Right. So he started calling the heating company to complain about this pig parking. Genius. And then when that didn't work, uh, he just went out there in the middle of the night and let the air out of the guy's tires. <laughs> Again, your dad is a legend. So what? How did letting no having no air in the tires? make someone realize they were gay um because now i don't know that these two things are necessarily connected except that i remember that they happened around the same time so i, I was very young i didn't like think anything of this so i remember there being it was a husband and wife and he had his van and he used to pig park it outside our house um and then um I, I, retrospectively because uh, I remember my mum my or my dad talking about this like further down the line, they'd noticed that there would be another man that was coming and going quite often from the house. But I, I, again, I don't think at the time they thought anything of it until we now remember they live across the road, so there's quite a distance. Late at night, there started to be very loud arguments coming out of their house between the husband and the wife, yeah. uh, like, you know, d d domestics. And... Um, it all came to a head one day when the wife, who I think was probably drunk at the time, stormed out of the house, right? 
and threatened to drive her husband's work van through the front window. Oh, that's effective. Right. Well, but it wasn't effective because the, the air was let out of the tire, right? <laughs> right? Right, yeah. And so, and, and so I think, I mean, again, also, not only did this, in theory, help a man out of the closet, it also was damage limitation on behalf of my dad because a, a drunk, uh, angry wife who's... I think at this point just discovered that she's being cheated on by with a by her husband with another man. Her attempting to drive his work van through the front of their house isn't going to solve any problems, as, as you know. But what he did do is, so I think like she got into the work van and was like, "Oh my god, I can't even drive it through the front of the." Van. So then the cops got called, right? Because as a result of her being stalled with her her intended actions because the, the the air was let out of the tires that gave more time for the cops to be called they obviously put it down to some sort of domestic dispute next thing i know the wife is never ever to be seen again but days later the man who oh, no. previously we've seen coming around moved in and 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 this is where the story has a happy ending They've lived happily ever after. Uh. My, my dad still lives in the same house. This story I'm telling you must have happened like, I don't know, 30 years ago. And if I go back for uh, Christmas this year, uh, two gay guys, one of whom used to be married to a woman who got very angry that night and drunkenly threatened to drive his work van through the front of the house. Those two gay guys lived happily ever after. Now, had the air not been taken out of those tires, that I'm just saying that could have been a very different turn of events. He would, she would have slammed into the house and he would have been like, yep, this is... This defines it i'm absolutely gay (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah there you go that's segment one on pig parking uh no worst people on earth yeah 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 i totally agree uh you want to talk about grandpa style i feel like this could be something that you would uh, be down with now i uh i i I was i've got some friends who run a, a vintage store uh in deep alum which is uh is excellent and um they uh it's called ad vintage they quite often uh, comment and like the podcast so hi ad vintage hello i do love their work they basically have made a uh a, a money-making business out of encouraging people to uh give up their 1980s shirts they give them a few dollars for them, clean up the shirts, and then sell them for like $50 a piece. Oh. And the hipsters of Deep Ellum, they didn't know how much they wanted a 1985 Hall & Oates tour shirt until they went to Ad Vintage. And it's a great business success. They would love my closet. My mom sent me a photo the other day. It was a picture of me in eighth grade wearing a shirt that I still wear to this day. How I fit in it, I don't know. Well, they um, I don't really fit in it anymore, but I still wear it. Well, uh, but that might be part of uh, Grandpa style i don't know that you necessarily need to be fit for grandpa style because what i'm saying to uh, add vintage is as uh, as much as it's been a success that um you know you get hipsters good looking hipsters in there to model your judas priest and steely dan t-shirts i mean that literally they, that's what's on their instagram all the time stuff like that uh, um you might need to regress even further because according to uh, this uh, new Instagram account, which has been a huge hit, it's set up relatively recently. It's got 150,000 followers uh, already and um, it's called um, Insta... Oh, hang on a minute. Let me get the name right. I need to get the actual... Oh, right. um, what? Uh, Write this stuff down. I've, I'm looking at my notes. I've got too many notes. Um, um, did they call it Instagram? Instagram style. First of all, while you look for, it, I just gotta say, I'm a little disappointed that grandpa style is a style of clothing and not a sex act. 
Grandpa <laughs> style seems right up my alley. Like, uh, movement isn't really my thing, and Grandpa style seems like the laziest form of sex. <laughs> so I was going to talk about that it's, you, you know, wearing tweed jackets and such like oh. is now in. Your mind went to basically having lazy sex. Yeah, I, like with a walker, she just bent over in front of me. <laughs> I get it, Shushi. <laughs> In this scenario, the hooker's the- name is Susie. I'm just imagining you in a relationship with like, are we having sex tonight? Okay, let me get the walker. Yeah, I gotta get the walker. Oh, that's that's you- our version of the sex swing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Okay, so what we're learning here is that grandpa style may be a very different thing on Instagram than it is on Pornhub, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Have you found that name yet? No, <laughs> you put me off well, with no, the, the idea of you banging some woman. Using she's a, an elderly you, woman. Using a walker. <laughs> so she's 90, so what? We're in love. <laughs> Um, I'd, uh, hang on a minute. Instagram. <laughs> um, the clothing works for me too. You know, I think I'd look good in the clothing. I well, can change the subject. What I was, what I was gonna, I've, what I was gonna say, is that. My, I was thinking of my grandpa's style, which was basically, I don't know if this is just a British thing or whether this was a thing that uh, American grandparents did, but basically most of my, my grandpa's clothes were knitted by my nan, his right, wife. Yeah. So she would sit there, he would watch soccer all day long, right? And she would sit there with no interest in the soccer and just kept knit, 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 knit. And basically every sweater that he ever wore was made by her i mean it was very very cost effective but it was basically everything was a wool sweater and very brightly colored now that is the thing with grandpa style the colors are very garish he was actually a nudist before they met he never had any clothes no, before then. No, he didn't a single article of clothing. <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, I mean, I, I, as we've said on this podcast before, he was a man who was very, very into saving money because remember, they used to, they, they back when they were uh, in, the, in the 50s, he used to tell me these stories of um, if you, uh, if your, uh, your uh, appliances in your kitchen went wrong, you could get people to come and take them away, and it probably cost like one pound or something like that. Right. So you get, a, you get a new fridge or a new oven, but then you could pay people to take the old ones away, and he used to bury them in the back garden oh because, <laughs> because, he was, because he was too tight to pay the one pound to have his fridge or his oven taken away. And that's like the equivalent to a dollar, a few dollars, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it Not probably much. was, and, and I'm saying like, it probably wasn't that much then. It was probably like, I mean, if you were to do it with inflation and convert it to dollars, it was probably the equivalent of paying someone $10 maximum to take away your oven or your fridge in, in the current day. But rather than that, he would dig a massive hole in the back garden. They'd be, oh, there's no point paying $10. I'm going to bury it down there. Please tell me all these appliances are still down there. That would be the greatest treasure hunt of all time. It's another thing that I've considered in adult life because as we've, uh, it's almost therapy for me sometimes doing this podcast because I think about my upbringing and just things that seem normal because 
you just never challenge them. But I do wonder, A, if they are still down there, and B... I mean, they also talk about, obviously, years and years before I was born, that they had a dog and that dog died, right? That dog would have had to have been buried. And, you know, people bury their pets in the back garden. Do you imagine in years and years to come that some archaeologist, like way, way, way past We're Dead, is digging up what used to be my granddad's back garden in North London, and they discover the remains of a dog and an oven? And they can only, the only reasonable deduction from that is, huh? 1950s England, dogs could cook? <laughs> I was going to say, there's going to be museums. It's going to be, yes, back in the day, dogs used these crazy things to heat up their other food that were also animals. They're going to be look, they're gonna be like, when did dogs get so fucking stupid? Back in, the, <laughs> back in the 1950s, they knew to refrigerate their pedigree chum. Is that a dog food here? <laughs> yeah. Okay, it's a so. dog food know. in the UK. It is now. Sometimes I have to check to make sure that Americans understand my jokes are actually as funny as they are. <laughs> no, hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. <laughs> so, yeah, that could be a whole, like, uh, I mean, that's an archaeologist wet dream, isn't it? In yeah. the future, like way down in the future when they look also, back. Also, like, how big was their backyard that they were just able to, I mean, I'm assuming he had to do this quite often. So there's probably a whole house of appliances down there. Well, you see, back then, as my granddad uh, would tell you, because he was also uh, quite racist, this was before the England. Yeah got so crowded we had less people back in those days we could all afford big yards he'd tell you (laughs) and then um and then by telling you uh that you know things were better back then because there were uh bigger backyards he'd also put it as a selling point we used to have our bathroom in the backyard even as a five-year-old i used to go granddad i don't see the appeal of having oh no that was the thing in england in like the 50s and the 60s people's people's uh, toilets were out the back of the house he so, would love my backyard. I go out there to pee every single morning. No, that was the, that was where the plumbing was. Oh, that's so you, where my tree is. <laughs> right. Well, he he basically would get up. So imagine you wake up at three o'clock in the morning. It's freezing cold in like January in London in the 1950s. And if you need to pee in the middle of the night, you've got to leave the house, go out, walk past the dead dog and the buried fridge, <laughs> right. and then go to the toilet, which is outside. That sounds horrendous. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, that'll be another thing for archaeologists to discover way down the line. Wow. Dogs could cook, but they hadn't discovered indoor plumbing. Also, they knew how to use the bathroom. Ours just pee on trees, like Jeremy did. (laughs) Right. Uh, There's a ton of music news for us to get into. I want to talk about the latest biopic, which is coming from Kiss. Uh, Also, Demi Lovato is fighting back against Froyo, and Froyo's fighting back against Demi Lovato. Uh, Morrissey's fighting everyone, but specifically The Simpsons. And I don't want to uh, say that we should take credit for this, but we should take credit for this. I think we have put Cannibal Corpse in popular culture. Uh, It's our cosmic power. So we'll get to that in part two. Uh, Before we do that, let me remind you of Song of the Week. If you want to vote, uh, you can go to our website, didyouamerica.com slash song, or... You can vote on the poll, which is on my Twitter. I'm at Ian Canfield on Twitter. Uh, Three songs for you to choose from. I've gone for Boilermaker by Royal Blood. I went with Alemania by Twin Shadow. And New York producer has gone for He Said, She Said by Churches. So they're your choices. Whenever you're uh, listening to this podcast, if if you're listening to it in something approaching real time, you can vote until... uh, Uh, midday central time on Monday. So he said, she said by churches, Alamania by Twin Shadow or Boilermaker by Royal Blood. Uh, Check out the song of the week poll on my Twitter. I'm at Ian Canfield there, or you can vote via the website, didyouamerica.com. 
All right, let's do part two of Did You America? I'm Ian Canfield, he's Jeremy, and this is episode, we don't know, season two, right? It's definitely season two, we know that. Kept up with that, yeah. We definitely know we started this in 2020, and it's now 2021. Uh, at 2022, it might be season three. I don't know, not a mathematician. Time flies when you're out of your mind. Talking of being out of your mind, it, uh, should we do any kind of update as to how your 420 was, or is it just going to bore me because you didn't get to anything? Because isn't that the point of 420? Whatever you intend to get to, you never quite get to it because you're enjoying 420 in the way that Snoop Dogg would approve of. I think I took a four-hour nap. That was pretty eventful in my world, though. Right. Yeah. And uh, we haven't done a training update. I was so I was so angered by Pig Parkers. I apologize. We haven't done an update on your on your training regime. You did slip in some information when we were talking about uh, fashion that you can now fit into a pair of jeans. So uh, yes. should, should I be saying congratulations? Well, I was going to bring this up during grandpa style, but we got into a sex tangent. I, you know, that's very similar to myself. I dress comfortably, but it's not because I'm a lazy bum. I am a lazy bum, but I've been in sweatpants for the last year because... I literally have not been able to fit into any of my jeans since I quit smoking cigarettes and gained all the weight. It's what uh, Pink Floyd wrote comfortably numb about. You wear loose-fitting clothing and you're so fucking fat you can't even feel any of the clothing, yes, right? definitely not about cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, so yeah, I, I, put on, I went to put on sweatpants this morning as I have every morning for the last 9, 10, 11 months and... I was out of sweatpants. They were all dirty. So I said, you know what? Let's see if I could fit into one of these pairs of jeans. And wouldn't you know it, for the first time in a year, bam, buttons went on without one popping off. Wow. Oh, yeah, Congratulations. I'm, you know what? I'm not going to lie. I think I could even wear a belt. <laughs> well, well done. I'm that's here. that's good. I can quit now, right? No, you have to keep going. I, I, I thought the... I thought the intention of this was that you could fit a towel around you. Did <laughs> well, we? Yeah. Did we? I, I haven't showered in weeks. We haven't even <laughs> attempted that. I can't remember whether we discussed this on the podcast or not. That Jeremy decided that it was time to lose weight when he had to only use beach towels in the bathroom because regular bathroom towels would not fit around his waist anymore. Accurate. This is absolutely true. Too fat for towels is quite a statement. <laughs> it's the title of my book. But if you're into, yeah, right? That's your weight loss program, right. Too Fat for Towels. That'll get some attention from shoppers in Walmart. Um, stick it right next to the candy selection. They'll be right there. Right. I, um, but if you're in, you know, if you're buttoning up your, your jeans, then, you know, you should probably uh, be bold. Give a, give a bath towel a go. Let's, I'll try it tonight. First shower in a month. All right, I think we uh, we achieved this. Uh, you know, we talk about our cosmic power on Did You America. We discuss stuff, and uh, suddenly it becomes mainstream news, or we cause things to happen. On the previous episode, we did a whole bit on Cannibal Corpse related to fitness, because the guy who's the guitarist in Cannibal Corpse said that his fat fit neck is getting loads of attention. Um, he was basically on the verge of devising the Cannibal Corpse workout, which is where I guess you headbang to their music and you get a neck that's so thick, it's sexy. And he was getting a load of attention for that. The day after we released this podcast and we talk about the fact that, uh, you know, Cannibal Corpse are the new fitness DVD, uh, the same guy, Cannibal Corpse uh, Corpse Grinder, is talking about how he's awesome at playing claw machines and he wins so much stuff that he sometimes donates to kids' charities. So this 
this band goes from never having a headline in the history of their band to now all of a sudden getting headlines every single day. We did that. If we'd have labored the point on fitness at the fact that you're too fat to fit into a towel and not move this into Cannibal Corpse with Fit Next, I don't think that this would ever be, have become a story about the fact that he's now donating to, uh, to kids' charities by using a claw machine. You know what it's like? He's thought to himself, I don't want to lose all credibility with my... I don't know whether they're death metal, thrash metal, or a hybrid of the two fans. Scary metal. Scary metal. Right. I don't want to lose too much credibility with my scary metal fans. So rather than just doing a bit for the press where I say I donate to kids' charities, let's say it's from a claw machine. Because at least claw, (laughs) the claw part of this statement at least is slightly in keeping with Cannibal Corpse. I don't know. I'm starting to think if we don't get a at least a thank you in their Grammy acceptance speech. What's even the point of talking about that? But it is, I mean, the thing is, when you're one of these extreme metal bands, I feel like the only way that you have longevity uh, to cross over to any degree is if you become famous for something other than the music. And the, 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 the combination that you need is, A, something to make you famous other than your music, because most people consider the music unlistenable. And B, you need a somewhat silly name. Because if Cannibal Corpse... Cannibal Corpse basically were destined to forever be the band who would be doing a headline set at Trees in Dallas with genital mutilation opening for them, right? (laughs) Right. That was going to be the peak of their powers if they just stayed as Cannibal Corpse until they started talking about the fit neck, fat neck workout regime and the fact that uh, the claw machine is donating to kids' charities. It's in much the same way as, like, Cradle of Filth. They're another band with a silly name, right? Yeah. They started putting some very offensive things on T-shirts with nuns and such like that got them a lot of attention. And then in the, in the UK, at least, because they're, they're, they're a British band, their singer started appearing on comedy shows dressed up in the, like, panel shows where you have to be funny, dressed up like the front man of, Cannibal, of, uh, of Cradle of Filth looking ridiculous, but being actually funny. And so people went, oh, Cradle of Filth. They will start listening to them. But, well, no, 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 no. See, that's the thing. I don't think anyone who started thinking, knowing who Cradle of Filth were, actually picked up an album or went to Spotify. No one, no one who saw the singer from Cradle of Filth dressed up looking ridiculous, but actually being very funny and not satanic on the TV show. None of those people said, oh, I must go on to Spotify now and play the Cradle of Filth song, Gilded Cunt. Well, That's an actual song, by the way. I can almost guarantee you at the next Cannibal Corp show, there's definitely going to be just like mad claw machines, arcade style everywhere. <laughs> Have you ever played those claw machines? Those are the ultimate sign of manhood in my opinion like if you're because it's not if you're able to do it it's if you're able to handle the stress of the constant losses but the way society is changing they have made the claw game too easy now i was at dave and buster's last weekend me and my friends didn't really have anything to do we said screw it let's go old school let's hit dave and buster's up Spent way too much money. That place is a total rip-up. Besides the point. Unless they want to sponsor the podcast, in which case, in which they're, case they're a fine establishment and you should go there immediately, if not sooner. The most fun place on earth. I was almost excited that their top prize was a Roomba vacuum. <laughs> I, so anyways, I I went to the claw machine because, you know, I had a claw machine, classic game, it's fun. They, they had two there. They had one that was the standard claw machine but had a camera in... I, 
at the top of the claw. So you could see where the claw was going, completely defeating the purpose because now you win every time because you have a camera showing you exactly where the claw is dropping. And the other one was the most giant claw machine I'd ever seen ever that if you couldn't grab one of these giant stuffed animals with their massive claw, then you just suck at life and should never go to the Dave & Buster's ever in your life ever again. Can I make a suggestion that um, if we're going to move them properly into pop culture, um, Cannibal Corpse that is, how about we do a Cannibal Corpse tour of Dave and Buster's? Because you know <laughs> how you fix the claw machine. Right. Yeah, he's like, take the cameras out. I'm skilled without the cameras. That's giving the Maybe game away. Maybe that's why he's so good. Maybe because he's using the new claw machine. Because that game is very hard. And I don't think Mr. Thickneck has the... Uh uh, the mental wherewithal to, and the patience to handle the claw game. Well, I, it depends on w whether, I mean, you probably have to move your neck to certain positions to it properly see with uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he can only go back and forth, back and forth <laughs> at, 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 the, at the rate of headbanging to he, Cannibal Corpse. And he's a very circular neck. I know this for a fact. I'm an expert claw machine. But, but I do think, you know, people always say the only way bands have got a future in the music business now is if they give people something more than new music and there has to be an all-round experience because no one sells any albums anymore and uh, you know bands that are doing meet and greets and stuff and signing sessions before the shows is very um prevalent now quite often when there were gigs you could pay extra to then get a download code whereby you could go home straight after the show and download the show you just saw no one in their right mind would want to hear that cannibal corpse gig again i mean imagine <laughs> putting yourself for an hour of that and then coming home and go oh i want to play it again through through my bose speakers it's got great clarity cannibal corpse through my bose speakers no. what about this as, as added value uh you, it's a cannibal corpse tour um throughout all the dave and busters in the u.s and pre-show you get to play on the claw machine with corpse grinder and there's a new range of claw machines called corpse grinder at the dave and busters and all the prizes in the claw machine dvds of their neck workouts oh genius you know what, Campbell Corpse? You're welcome. You don't even need to thank us in your Grammy speech. Oh. We're doing this all out of love. Now, I'll tell you what, something else that connects to this, because uh, every idea that we've just had, I can think of one musical artist who will be going, mm-hmm, this seems like a sound business structure. Paul Stanley, why have we not got claw machines? <laughs> Mr. Gene Simmons. I was going to say, that was an expert uh, impersonation. G I can't do... Uh, I know a comedian who does a great impression of Gene Simmons, but basically, uh, his, and I can't do the voice as well, but his impressions just goes, This is Gene Simmons of KISS. Sign to GeneSimmons.com to donate me $12. And everything, <laughs> every, time, every time he does an impression of Gene Simmons, whatever Gene Simmons is talking about, every sentence is punctuated with Gene Simmons from the band Kiss, because you can't brand too much. I mean, that's pretty much what he says in his real life anyway. No, that's exactly that's exactly what he does. And he's a man who, I've got to tell you this, uh, some people have a problem with Gene and these, uh, you know, outright capitalist uh, instincts, but I love Gene. I love capitalism. I love America. And I think if you were to uh, ask Gene Simmons to list his top four loves, it would be money, America, Kiss, and his wife in that order. I would have guessed money, 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 <laughs> well, personally. <but. laughs> so the news is 
There's going to be a biopic uh, for Kiss coming to Netflix. Um, as we've discussed with biopics on this podcast before, you're never sure whether they're going to be good or bad. Um, I didn't mind the Queen one. The purists uh, that uh, were into Queen had a problem with it being kind of factually incorrect. I couldn't stand the Elton John musical. Um, the uh, the Motley Crue one, the, the, the Dirt, was made for Netflix, right? right? I didn't think that was the best thing ever that I saw, but it was enjoyable for it, an hour and a it half. It was fun for the fact that like they got the titties out every once in a while and showed people doing drugs, but it wasn't actually like a movie. You know what I mean? It's just like a fun watch for an hour and a half. Right, and uh, but again, I did, it wasn't an hour and a half of my life that I wanted back. So I think like Netflix can do like a, a, a decent version, but you know. They're going to be pitching the idea to Gene in terms of storyboarding it from, so, you know, you were an immigrant that came to America with your mom and she couldn't speak English and you taught yourself English and then you became a teacher and blah, blah, blah. And he's just going to be going, how much money are we making from this per second? I'd like to see a, I'd like to see a per second breakdown, a cost benefit analysis. I don't care about the story, how much money. Have you noticed I've made him very British? <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm... I I'm kind of interested in the Kiss story because I, but the sad thing is, uh, the report said that Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons are going to be heavily involved. So it's probably not going to be the great real story, all the behind the scenes stuff. The one aspect I am really interested about is how bad are they going to make Ace Fraley look in this movie? <laughs> like, there's no chance he's portrayed in a nice light in any way. They're going to be like, oh, he broke up the band. All the problems were his fault. He looks like a cat. I'm about to say something controversial. And again, I do love Gene. I love, 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 love Gene. He literally is one of my favorite Americans because he's just such a great example. I call the American dream the American gene. When I used to, when I've done a lot of interviews with him, and I'd be like, the American gene is coming in today. He must which have meant, loved which that. meant Gene Simmons was coming in and he embodied the American dream. I loved him so much. He was one of my key turning points for when I really decided that I needed to get out of Shitsville because it's a shithole fucking country. I was doing a morning show and he he came in to promote a TV show. Um, I can't, it was either Family Jewels or that rock band thing. Did right. you say, there was that on the yeah, states yeah. here where he put the kids put a rock band together in school. I can't remember one of the TV shows. And he came in to do some promotion. And I was doing a morning show on the radio in London. And we did the interview live. And I just, I didn't talk a lot. I just let him be Gene. It's like 7.30 in the morning. He was on for about 20 minutes or whatever. And I just, Oh my God, I had a hard on the whole time. He was just so like, I'm Gene and I'm great and America's great. I'll tell you one other thing I do remember from, from the interview, it was for rock school, right? Because in the UK, Kiss are nowhere near as big a band as they are in the States. And Gene Simmons, people know him, but he's, I feel like if you walked out onto any American street and showed someone a picture of Gene Simmons, they'd know who it was in America. Sure. In, in the in Chittsville, that's not the case. So he had this big problem with the fact that in America, the show was called Gene Simmons Rock School, but in the UK, it was just called Rock School. And, and, and obviously he spotted me as an American loving, I'm not even a Kiss fan, because I'm not particularly into Kiss's music. I... I actually think his music is actually not that good. But I know, Con I told you, I, you, I, I warned you, you should have gri gripped hold of something firm that the musically they're not that good. But as a business enterprise and as what Gene represents, oh, it's just amazing. So we're doing the interview and he obviously sees me as a fan and he goes, uh, he goes you know everywhere else it's called Gene Simmons Rock School. 
you seem to know what's good and bad. Could you just call it that for the rest of the interview, please? <laughs> oh <my> God. <laughs> so no ego there whatsoever. So, oh God, I just <laughs> anyway. So my, my point is, is that we do this. I don't know, twenty minutes, half an hour on air, and it's just fantastic. And for for the for that time, there were other people on this show, but like regular co-hosts. I just ignored them. I didn't want to didn't care. It was just me and Gene. And I felt like I'd been transported to a proper country and we were celebrating everything that was good and great about America because we were talking about money and success and ambition and America and America and, oh, just so good. Anyway, he leaves and we've got this uh, text system. People can text in that they, they used to get a lot of text messages at this radio station. And I look over because I've just been transfixed by Gene. I've not noticed what people are texting him. And there must have been about 300 texts that came in and they're all going, who is this asshole? You've never had someone like, no one knew who he was wow. and no one liked what he had to say. I hope you I made al- sure he did not see any of those. I, I almost had a breakdown on air. I almost was literally about to just stop the ad break that we'd gone into and just go, you fucking people. You fuck. But, but I didn't have a job to go to in America at that point. Well, but so it, you but, got on the plane and came over and I, never looked back. I literally was, I was almost about to just like, you know, just go straight to Heathrow. But it was a very pivotal turning point for God, this fuck. I, I literally felt like going, fucking England, you didn't deserve the last 20 minutes that you just got. My other uh, great Gene Simmons story um, uh, is uh, a friend of mine was doing his promotion and he was. Um, he took a couple of film crew out to Gene Simmons' house, right? And um, they so they go up to the Hollywood Hills and they film around the house. And in Gene Simmons obviously got this palatial pad, but he's got this room, which is his kiss room with just like loads of kiss merchandise in it. So this room alone is the size of the uh, several houses that an average person would all own. All the products that didn't get purchased? <laughs> no, I think they're just like one-offs of all the products that he's hoarded okay. hoard out there, right? I was thinking maybe like he had his own gift shop in his house. It was fully stocked. <laughs> like, hey, three caskets, we got them. Well, like if you come into the house, you have to pay to buy something from oh, the gift you, shop. If you walk into Gene Simmons' house, you're giving him at least $20. That is not actually too far from the truth, actually. You'd be surprised how realistic that is in relating to this story. So bearing in mind, my buddy's doing his promotion, right? And he's got a full film crew from a national um, UK TV network in the house to film Gene promoting whatever he's promoting. At the time, Gene had recently released uh, a biography called Sex Money Kiss. <laughs> well, but which, which by the very gene. oh god, it's so great! It's a self-help book on how you can be as successful as Gene is. It's like my Bible, <laughs> Sex Money Kiss, and it basically is like uh, it's basically two hundred pages that basically says. If you can give up every moral that you were taught when you were growing up and decide that the two most important things in your life are yourself and money, then you'll do very well. Like take yourself, sell it for everything it is, and be Gene Simmons. Absolutely. So to, Have a tongue. To, to that point, and to your point, my buddy says, while they've done all this filming, says to Gene Simmons, oh, by the way, when it airs, we're going to do a contest on the TV network back in the UK to give away 20 signed copies of the new book, right? Right. And Gene Simmons goes, um, okay. And in this, in his kiss room, he's got literally piles and piles of this book because it's new out, so it's just been delivered. But literally piles and piles. Right, no of, one's bought the book. We get money. it. No, it's not being released <laughs> they have one, yet. You got it. <laughs> so... Um, Gene says, yeah. And so my buddy goes, so, you know, if you could sign 20 copies. And Gene says, yeah, if you go down to Tower Records on Sunset, buy 20 and bring them back, I'll sign them. No way. (laughs) And also, you know he wasn't signing those. He was rubber stamp signing those. So my buddy 
looks at him kind of aghast and Jean goes, would you like me to call you a cab? Oh my God. And he actually did. Oh. He sent his UK promo person from his house in the Hollywood Hills in a cab down to Sunset Boulevard when Tower Records used to be there, made him buy 20 copies of his own book, get back in the cab, go back up through the hills in the canyon, arrive back with 20 copies of the book and then had Gene sign them. I mean, the least he could have done is sold him 20 of the ones he had in his house for the price that they would have sold at the bookstore. No, because Gene is such a great asshole he wanted to put his promotion person through this knowing that his promotion person would tell this story to everyone that he knows and then assholes like me who go oh my god that's so great would then tell the story more and so it the, the, you know it becomes like a, a thing in rock and roll mythology okay. we need to get a hold of the writers of this movie because these type of stories are the ones that need to get in there oh my god it would just be so great i, I also just kind of love gene simmons blatant disregard for anything to do with the musical side of Kiss like I know I said I, I was being quite controversial by saying that Kiss musically is a bit shit but I think he knows that like when the, the last album came out he got a deal from uh, Walmart to have Kiss Corners they had no interest in releasing new music it was a ball ache to write new stuff no one buys a Kiss album in, they probably sell more coffins than they do copies right. of CDs now but Kiss had never had a corner for all of their avatar in Walmart. And Walmart said, if you want a Kiss corner, you can have one, but you have to release a specific new bit of product so we can market the Kiss corner around that. You haven't done an album in years and years. What about an album? Gene picks up the phone to Paul Stanley and goes, hey, we need some new songs. Just knock some together. Ten will do. Then we get a Kiss Corner. And, you know, and and, and, and that's what he they did. He just liked the name Kiss Corner. Well, the other thing is, is like, I've been to see Kiss shows before. And again, I always, the show itself, every, there's something going bang every 10 seconds right. and they fly yeah, through the air. As a spectacle, it's great. If you close your eyes so you didn't see what was going on and just listen to, shout it, shout it, shout it out loud. You're like, oh my God, this must have sounded shit in 1976. It certainly sounds shit in 2021 like musically they're just not good those songs have not aged well at all all right well let me ask you this so last episode we talked about the joey ramone biopic and pete davidson being cast in that role who could possibly be cast as gene said oh he'll play himself because he want the extra money <laughs> he's not going to allow it's anyone perfect. else to play him you know we were talking him and three cats and kiss makeup and that's the movie that literally <laughs> like he'll say did you hear about that movie cats with james corden that everyone hated we're going to do a good version of that <laughs> he's like i saw it quite interesting uh, i liked it let's do that I, I will be me in human form and will be using that robert de niro technology from the irishman to make me look slightly younger although i think you'll find i haven't aged that much since 1972 and the rest of the band will be cats well i do have a suggestion if he decides that maybe he doesn't want to play the role okay steven seagal <laughs> With a big wig? Oh, with the, I mean, his hair is kind of similar. It you know, kind of has that, like, poofiness, just not as out as Gene Simmons is. But I think Gene Simmons would hear that and be like, yeah, I know karate. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't Gene Simmons in a terrible 80s Steven Seagal movie? Gene Simmons. I can only assume, yes. Gene Simmons is in a movie in the 80s where he's a... Um, some kind of arms dealer or terrorist. He's the bad guy. And I'm sure that the, the guy chasing him is Steven Seagal. I'm looking it up right now. Hold on. I forget. Dressed to Kill. Is that what it's called? Yes. No. 
Wanted, Dead or Alive. That's it. Is that Steven Seagal? Yes. Oh, yes! Wait, hold on. Maybe. Oh. Jeremy, all you have to do is read IMDb. How That's difficult can this it, be? Well, it mentioned Steven Seagal, but it didn't. It, it was like a quote from them. I don't know, man. Let's just say, yeah, no one's going to actually research it. Hell yeah, they've been in a movie together. Okay, so Wanted Dead or Alive, that's the movie. I'm pretty certain Steven Seagal. I'm telling you, you put Gene Simmons and Steven Seagal back in the same movie, that will be like when you put Harrison Ford back into Star Wars. That's what I'm saying. Now I'm looking at the cast, and I don't see either of them in this. Nope, Steve, Gene Simmons is definitely in it. Eh, we're just going to say Steven Seagal is too. Uh, I do like your idea. I do, I do think he'll want to play himself, but I do like your idea for, you know, for that. But yeah, I, everything, everything about Kiss is great, aside from the music. That is literally the worst aspect of Kiss. Last time I saw Kiss, um, G, uh, Paul Stanley came on stage because he works way harder than Gene Simmons as well. If you want, because they're old now, right? They're all both about 70. Because of their outfits, like Paul Stanley has had to stay in really impressive physical shape to be able to do the Kiss show. Gene Simmons has always worn like two ton of body armor. He could be the fattest bastard in the world underneath that, and no one would know any difference. And he just kind of like has to stick his tongue out occasionally while <laughs> while Paul Stanley's very camply flexing his biceps during the whole show. Right, I'm sure if you looked behind him during those shows, there's wires even holding up his guitar. Like he can't even be bothered to actually hold it. I'm not even convinced that it is him i mean i've said this <laughs> i've said this many times before yeah. the only one that, that you can tell is definitely the real thing is paul stanley is definitely paul stanley and gene simmons has said before that he's got no problem if it meant that they could carry on making money if he sent out other people to dress in the kiss costumes he might be doing that already and anyway they, they do this they did this show and it was the the end of the road tour the last one that i saw um, so they promised like it was just this ex even more extravagant and like a whole new show. And it started and I'm thinking, this is the same show I saw three years ago in Vegas. This is like the same thing. And, and, but down to the point that Paul Stanley's like between song banter is exactly the same, except that between like songs two and three, he was like, so we've got a whole new show. We've changed a few things up. And I'm like, the only thing that's changed about this is you might have got gayer. I mean, literally. I, it's, they don't even change to the city. You're in there still just like Detroit. I... <laughs> <laughs> they may as well. They may as well keep it exactly the same. So again, I love everything to do with Gene Simmons. He's one of my favorite human beings ever. And I think it's great uh, testament to how successful Kiss have been based on the fact that they are a band. And the the worst thing about Kiss is their music. Yeah. The best thing is, you know, a lot of times when we bash, you know, musicians or artists on this podcast, we'll, we'll, or we talk about something other than their music we like, and when we say their music sucks, I always think, oh, well, that stinks. We'll never have them on this podcast. Is Gene Simmons heard us talking about how much we love his business side but hate the music? He'd be like, yeah, no, I agree with all of that. Uh, Our music is terrible. <laughs> but still, buy it anyway. Right, yeah. <laughs> By the way, money, please. this is Gene Simmons from Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> He's just tremendous. By the way, one more thing on Gene Simmons. So when my buddy went to buy 20 copies of that book from Tower on Sunset and then drove them back up to Gene's house to get it signed, he did actually get me a signed copy and I did because I was supposed to go to LA to be on this trip and I couldn't get the time off work. So uh, my buddy said, oh, can you sign one for m my friend Ian? Gene Simmons, of course, didn't care by that point because the books had been paid for. Yeah. Right? And he said, oh, he was going to come on the trip. He works in radio, but he couldn't get the time sign, sign off. So I've got Sex, Money, Kiss, my Bible, signed by Gene Simmons. And it says in it, 
to Ian. Where were you, Gene Simmons? <laughs> Just so you know, your friend wrote to you, where were you? <laughs> to Ian, where were you? And Gene Simmons rubber stamped that <laughs> autograph on there. Actually, he didn't even do that. He handed the stamper to your friend and said, you, you take care of those 20. I'm going to go take a nap <laughs> on my bed of money. <laughs> Which I count every night. Yeah, he's going to be looking at uh, what a rough time the guy from My Pillow's been having and thinking, <laughs> hmm, is there a gap in the market to sell mattresses that are purely made out of $100 bills? Introducing Kiss's Pillow. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, that could be a great idea. All right, I, we got sidetracked. There was so much other stuff to talk about. Uh, let's just do a quick roundup on um, Demi Lovato and Froyo. Um, I don't even know if we've got if this is worth getting into. I was get, so basically she had a problem with this Froyo place in Los Angeles offering sugar-free options, um, and um, and then there was a big backlash to that, saying that it was absolutely outrageous. And then she had a backlash to the backlash, saying that she's got an eating disorder and blah 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 blah, and she just couldn't bear the fact that she was put into a position of having sugar-free. I'm, I'm sorry, like I'm all for defending. Uh, people with any type of disorder, whether it's mental health or physical, mm -hmm. but she wants to become the poster child for every single disorder. I, I'm sorry, I can't look at Demi Lovato and think eating disorder. No, Just no. Just like I can't look at her and think drug addict after she's saying that she continues to smoke weed and drink. But the ironic thing is, when you look at her now after this whole hoo-ha, -ho -ho you would look at her and think, hmm, sugar-free strawberry. And uh, that's the one thing she doesn't want to be known for. I do look at her and think, if I was ever in the same room as you, all of this would go out the window because I would like to have sex with you. <laughs> Um, so anyway, the, um, uh, the, apparently someone set up some sort of account saying that uh, Demi was going to make a donation uh, to the Froyo place to say sorry, but it turned out to be a fake account. And now the Froyo place are basically biting back going, we've realized that it's a, a fake account, but since her sorry, not sorry apology, um, we don't want your support. Thanks again to everyone who has supported us. So, I, I mean, you, I, you, I think my overall takeaway from this is that it's like where the news cycles go to. You've had everything to do with Derek Chauvin this week and the, uh, uh, the George Floyd trial and then the other things to do with police shootings and all of those topics. And, and you real get, issues. Yeah, yeah, real issues. Um but it's almost like the press can't find enough outrage because if people are outraged about this or like that, and then you deal with like these five or six real issues, and then probably the seventh most pressing thing is <gasps> Demi Lovato's angry at sugar-free yogurt. I think the only way Demi Lovato can save herself, she needs to come out with the ice cream shop diss track. <laughs> she needs to go full throttle and be like, man, screw you, I'm coming for that cream. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe she just starts an ice cream shop and just have it like it's the most calorific ice cream ever, <laughs> right ever, ever. Right next door to that. Right, yeah, yeah, shop. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like Larry David starts exactly. his, starts his yeah, rival coffee store. shop, right? <laughs> she needs to open a Spite store, right? Where And, and their, marketing, their marketing thing is that even the smallest cone might give you a heart attack that is the one thing that would make me go from my having this hatred for demi lovato to just absolutely loving her yeah spite store that's the only way to go spite store ice cream and uh, one other thing that we should uh, round up in terms of uh, grievances in the music industry on the podcast last time we did speak about um 
Morrissey having a problem with the uh, episode of uh, The Simpsons, uh, which I still can't, I've seen it so many times, but I still can't look at the uh, picture of fat Morrissey from The Simpsons without <laughs> laughing. I can't think of the, the name fat Morrissey without laughing. It, it really is um, quite something. So um, I, I've seen the episode of The Simpsons now, and... Uh, I don't know. I thought it was quite funny. I mean, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch played Morrissey. He's got the character down. Was it actually? It was. It was a character that was based off of Morrissey. Was he actually playing Morrissey? So no. So it's a character that was based off of Morrissey. So uh, who's so the guy? What could he be mad about? It wasn't really Morrissey. Wink, wink. Well, the character. The, the, the storyline is who's the girl? Lisa. Lisa, uh, Le- yeah. Lisa has an imaginary friend who's a, who's a depressed '80s pop star. So she imagines that she's friends with the 1980s Morrissey, okay. where he's looking svelte and you know the shirts open and everything ah. else. And but you know and but they and but and they write loads of parody songs like that. I think what was Hamburger Homicide was one. <laughs> um, uh, there was one that was called something like. Um, I hate everyone but me, but you might be all right, or something, something like that. Right? Very Smiths like. Very, 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 very Smiths like. So all of the lyrics are a great take on Morrissey, and the way that uh, Benedict Cumberbatch portrayed Morrissey, I thought was absolutely spot on. But then she suddenly goes to reality and goes to a modern day gig where she's seeing what this character who she's had as, as an imaginary friend has become. And that's when fat Morrissey gripping a hamburger saying he doesn't like foreigners appears on the stage. And she goes like, Oh my God, this is like what you've become. Anyway, Morrissey is, uh, so the, the, uh, the, the, we call it Fat Morrissey. The, the episode wasn't called Fat Morrissey. In our minds, it was called Fat Morrissey. And in everyone else's minds, it was called Fat Morrissey. So Morrissey uh, issued his own statement uh, to counterbalance this that was called Hello Hell. Um, and the thing that I like about it the most is that he's writing in the statement. He basically talks in the statement in exactly the same way that Benedict Cumberbatch talked when he was portraying <laughs> Morrissey and doesn't see the irony in this. Um, Wait, but didn't he already put out a statement? Well, here is the thing. What we were referring to on the previous episode of the podcast, they're now claiming was a statement from Morrissey's management. I don't believe it's that for a second. Mor- It'd be great if it was like the exact same message, but instead of... When Morrissey does this, he says, like, when I do this. Like, he just replaced all the, the, the Morrisseys with eyes. I just think that the uh, the episode has got so much attention that he put out a statement via his management making out. It was the management saying it and then was like, oh, my God, no, 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 I have to say more. So this time, <laughs> this time we'll, say, we'll say it's from me. Yeah. The hatred shown towards me from the creators of The Simpsons is obviously a taunting lawsuit, but one that requires more funding than I could possibly muster in order to make a challenge, he says. And the whole wording of the... Neither do I have a determined business squad of legal practitioners ready to pounce. I think this is generally understood and is the reason why I am so carelessly and noisily attacked. You know what's so weird about Morrissey? You know, he's this punk emo not punk but like emo icon Mm -hmm. you know he has all these political beliefs and he's outspoken yet he might be the single most vain person in the history of the world he's mad because they called him fat he's so vain he thinks every single song ever written is about him (laughs) he okay here's look at uh another emo icon look at robert smith from the cure right back in the 80s he's a beautiful man now he is freakishly terrifying but he doesn't go cry about it he just puts himself on stage with makeup and you know 
cries on stage, but that's his thing. That's his act. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that was Morrissey's reaction that they, when the modern day Morrissey appeared on The Simpsons, he went, "Oh my God, they maybe look like Robert Smith." Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> I think he sees that and he just can't. That's the other side of Morrissey. He was pissed off in the eighties that people would con- uh, confuse the Smiths for the Cure, and now that he's being confused for Robert Smith in a physical oh, no. sense, it's got even worse. His statement goes on to say, and again, if you've seen the Simpsons episode, this is exactly the way that Benedict Cumberbatch spoke when he was portraying Morrissey. You are especially despised if your music affects people in a strong and beautiful way, since music is no longer required to. Again, I'm quite a fan of Morrissey, and I've spent some time with him, but I think you'll find, Morrissey, that it wasn't your music that was defend, uh, offending people. I think the song that you played that night on the Jimmy Fallon show was quite fine as far as everyone was concerned. <laughs> it was the fact you were wearing a badge supporting an extreme far-right fascist party in England. That might have been the problem. Probably not the best move. If you'd have just sung Hamburger Homicide, everyone would have been fine. As cool as the Nazi lightning bolt is, you probably shouldn't <laughs> rock it on your chest, you know? So, yeah, he just goes on to uh, whine and whine and whine and whine, and he hasn't got a record label. And it, what, but I was going to say, what, is that like his new album? Whine and whine <laughs> and whine and whine. Yes, I believe so. Um, so, yeah, kind of uh, moaning and whining and bitching, and that's basically what he's doing. But as I said, now I've seen it, um, I understand. I, 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 this is, I, I said this without even having seen the episode. For the first 15 minutes, it's quite a funny portrayal of Morrissey that I think even he would have laughed at because it's old 80s Morrissey. And I think they do have a kind of witty take on what his lyrics were like and how he loved, he hates everyone apart from himself and decides that some people, in this case, Lisa, might be okay. Um, but then they get into the fact that a lot of people think that he's a racist now because of his sort of modern day views. But again, I say those accusations have been around for a good year or two now, and he ain't ever put out so many statements at such length. But that was because before it was just racist. Now it's fat racist. Well, if Morrissey's people are listening, take our advice. Just convince him that they were really making fun of Robert Smith and he'll forget all about this. (laughs) That could be his next statement. It's okay, I take it all back. They confused me with Robert Smith. Confusing the Smiths with the cure happened a lot circa 1984. That dude is terrifying. (laughs) End of statement. (laughs) All right, we had so much more to get to. Uh, Hopefully we'll get around to that on the Monday edition of uh, Did You America. If you listen in anything approaching real time, these uh, episodes are normally squirted up your device Monday and Thursday afternoons. I'm just letting them know when they can expect to squirt. I'm always getting squirted. Yeah. Uh, DidYouAmerica.com is where you can go to if you want to write to the show. Uh, that's also where you can vote for Song of the Week. You can vote for Song of the Week as well on my poll on my Twitter, which is at Ian Canfield. We appreciate you hanging out for this edition. Did we America today? We definitely didn't Russia.